Welcome to the Cycling Performance Club podcast, a weekly podcast where a panel of scientists, pro cyclists, and cutting-edge coaches discuss topics in training, performance, science, and all things cycling. The show is co-hosted by Cyrus Monk, who is a pro cyclist and cycling coach, Damian Roos, who is founder of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast and is a professional cycling coach, and then also me, Dr. Jason Boynton a sports scientist and cycling coach. The Cycling Performance Club podcast is recorded live in the presence of an online audience, so you can join in and ask questions or participate in any of the discussions as we are having them. This week, we will be discussing some listener feedback, the difference between layman's articles and scientific articles that focus on training, and each of us on the panel will be sharing our current coaching to-do list. Or in other words, we'll be talking about devices or methods that are on our radar to consider including in our coaching practice. So um, I think first off the bat, I just wanna say to the people that are in the audience, we will be taking the questions um, between uh, topics. So if you can just uh, patiently wait for that, we will open questions up then. So for the first topic, Damien, um, you're going to share some of the listener feedback that we've had, which is really good. It's really nice to see that people are listening and have some input so we can help improve the podcast. Yeah, I got a whole, what you got? I got a bunch of feedback this week from a few different people. And there's one here that sort of addressed a couple of things to you, Jason. It must have been mm-hmm. um, specific things that you said. The first one is around where you said say goodbye to watching Game of Thrones if you want to be good <laughs> and start training seriously, where David, the person, disagrees with this because he's watching more TV and YouTube now than he ever did, which I would say uh, he's probably got a point. Sounds like he's on the trainer. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like he's on the trainer more. And um, doing those endurance level type rides where you want to try and move time quickly and uh yeah. i can safely I, say yeah. pros will uh watch their fair share of game of thrones i think uh if you if you <laughs> looked at the netflix subscribers pro cyclist takes up a fair <laughs> fair few of those yes and I, I think it comes down to um since the show is fairly candid and uh that you know when you're in the spur of the moment you have to kind of come up with your funny jokes or whatever right away and sometimes they're not the most well thought out things um so i i I mean i always try to listen to the podcast after we do it and i always hear myself say something stupid so yes i can i can totally understand um why some people's um consumption of certain tv series would go up with training if you are training but i've got to say Um, i I imagine the reason mm -hmm. you did say it initially was if you're doing it's just like a time like replacement thing replace one activity with Mm -hmm. another if you feel like you don't have enough of one thing swapping it out this is just combining entertainment with cycling which Mm -hmm. i'm sure we all do we all Mm -hmm. listen to podcasts or watch something if you're on a trainer Mm -hmm. um there's there's many ways that you can do that but i'm sure that's your original Mm -hmm. point Mm -hmm. yeah the great thing about cycling is the multitasking that happens in the presence of it right so uh i I do my weekly saturday group ride and that's a big social thing for me and social and exercise mixed into one 
Um, and you know, I, when I was up at uni, I was commuting by bike every day in the morning. So I was getting from point A to point B and getting my exercise in at the same time. So yeah, definitely can see that. Um, yeah. Any, anything else? There's one more part in this and it was, um, uh, okay. you yeah. keep referring to a graded exercise test. What the heck is that? Mm, okay. Well, that's, that's a little bit of a topic for Cyrus and I. Do you want to open it up, Cyrus? Yeah, I uh, was just trying to refresh my memory before on the the different forms of it, but essentially it's something you'll find in, in most scientific papers that all athletes are subjected to before they begin whatever the intervention is. But basically the graded part refers to intensity and that, the differing intensities and that will generally increase throughout the test the exercise obviously just relates to that's what you're doing so they're often done on a treadmill or a bike because then you can control the intensity and then test is going to be trying to discover an aspect of the the data that relates to the physiology of the person and gives us an idea of what the athlete is capable of. So essentially they're used both in science for determining the ability of a cohort, the athletic ability, and then in more specific scenarios, we would use them for determining what an athlete might be capable of and what kind of rider they might be is is that what you were mm -hmm. thinking jason um well yeah yeah I, was, I think you had a really good start there um i think one thing i would mention is i think when i was using that it was in the context of the vo2 max testing i think and um what you know, a layperson might see when someone is doing a vo2 max test i think most people understand that as they as the participant is doing it, it gets harder over time and to the point where you can't do it anymore. The protocol that the athlete is doing during a VO2 max test is a graded exercise test. So it just keeps getting harder and harder. And what makes the graded exercise test specifically a VO2 max test is that there is the athlete is hooked up to a metabolic cart to measure their oxygen consumption during the graded exercise test. So a little bit of clarification there. If you want to get a little bit nerdier about it, it's, uh, I look at graded exercise tests as being able to be split into two things. You would have a uh, continuous ramp where just, you know, every second it goes up a, a, um, a certain amount it's, it just continually ramps uh, and then you, you have the stepped graded exercise test and so that's probably what most uh, people are familiar with where you know every one minute to five minutes you would have an increase in watts that would be 20 to 50 watts um, and then of the kind of stepped graded exercise test, those could be split into a continuous, which would be what we would have in a graded exercise. Uh, that would be the type of graded exercise test that you would have in a VO2 max test, uh, or it can be split into an intermittent step test. And that's typically what you would see a little bit more in something like a blood lactate test. Um, I, I think that's, that's just kind of like the undergrad level um, explanation for a graded exercise test, but we thought it would be a good example to uh, answer listener feedback and just kind of explain, explain that, um, topic a little bit better. Yeah. So 
Thanks, David, for the uh, feedback. If anyone does have any questions outside of jumping on and listening to us live, definitely can get in touch with us and we'll uh, do our best to answer the questions. So in the next topic that we have, uh, we, we're going to discuss the difference between layman's articles and scientific articles and the main question being um, why we would take the scientific articles or the layman's articles. And this actually stems from a comment that I made uh, or a joke that I made in the, maybe it wasn't a funny joke, but I tried to make a joke about the, with Damien, this is a reoccurring joke with Damien and I, that I have a threshold of two layman's articles a day um, instead of being able to read multiple. And this is where Damien called me an elitist, which is funny, I thought because it kind of is elitist but and that was the tongue-in-cheek part of it but then you're, it, then does, you're better it off does defining mm, layman's then when you yeah yeah for sure so um the the layman's articles i would define as the like kind of more you know training peaks blogs uh stuff you would read in magazines um podcasts even um so you could say that we're a layman's uh uh training uh, media i guess and so that i don't know if you guys think of anything else that would might fit underneath that umbrella as a, as a layman's article on training yeah. so the Any distinction here oh sorry sorry um the distinction here yeah, yeah. is where it's published uh, sort of not being peer-reviewed mm-hmm. is that the difference here because yes. somebody can write mm-hmm. like anybody even if they're highly qualified in a specific area can write something but mm-hmm. you're saying if they publish it just in a public forum somewhere it's very different and that's the main difference that you're you're making a mm-hmm. distinction here mm-hmm. yeah and you know for example uh i listened this week to a podcast that had an interview with dave martin and dave martin used to be pretty high up at the ais um he was actually the scientist that convinced me to move to australia and do my phd here i uh, and i will listen to a podcast with him because I trust his opinion on thing, opinions on things, but it's not to say it his opinions are, are peer reviewed or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I did. I just wanted to kind of clarify, like why you know layman's articles are one thing, but if you to me, I think well, it's good to get a feel of what's out there, but if I'm spending this amount of time digesting this article, I could just go straight to the source without having this kind of telephone effect going on with this person that's interpreting it. Um, but yeah, I just kind of interested in knowing like why I probably have an idea why you guys, um, listen to this and I'll just like plug this right here. There was the first conversation that Damien and I ever had was on this topic. So we won't expand on it too much cause we don't want to rehash old stuff. But if you, if you are interested in learning more about, you know, the difference between layman's articles and where, uh, versus uh, scientific articles and how to read them, where to get them, there's a really good podcast that we and I did in, back in the day, was it back in 2015, um, where we did kind of discuss this. But yeah, just to hand it over to, well, since Damien and I have discussed this in depth, Cyrus, what, what, like, what are your thoughts? Like layman's article versus sci- scientific articles? Yeah, well, it's... Um 
an interesting one because I would classify most of my writing as both in that it is um, mm-hmm. in you couldn't describe it as unscientific, uh, even though it's not published in a journal. The the nature of the the writing that I've done, both for the semi pro cycling digest and independently, is yeah scientific and stemming from peer reviewed journals. But as you say, it's not peer reviewed in itself, so it becomes a, a question of and when you're reading stuff, knowing where you can trust the information and when you have to ask questions yourself and go a bit further because anyone can read a scientific paper, make their own deductions and publish them. And unfortunately, for those that aren't as scientifically literate, it may be harder to to read one of these secondary sources and be able to distinguish from opinion and from fact that was actually represented in the study itself. So I think a lot of what the three of us are doing here is trying to take that scientific literature and present it in layman's terms so that it's accessible to the general public because I think obviously that's a huge problem in science that there's so much good science being done and so little good science communication to spread it to the masses. So I think swinging it around to this podcast that's a lot of what we're about here is trying to share that sound scientific knowledge that has been sort of shown in these studies um rather than just anecdotal notes that we've had in from our coaching along the way and then if we can share the results from those studies to the wider population that might not have access to them themselves or might not be as interested in sitting down and reading them for four hours each evening, then um, that is basically one of our main goals here, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, thought, I think you brought up a really good point that, that I missed because when I was reading or when I was writing out the, the, the show introduction today, um, I just put down scientific articles, but you brought up a good point. Like you, you could, if you're, is it scientific if you writing about scientific articles or scientific findings, is it still scientific? Um, specifically, I would say you, you could maybe still say yes, but I guess to clarify, you know, I'm, I'm mostly talking about layman's articles versus peer reviewed journal articles. Yeah. If just to kind of make sure that, um, to clarify that point. But, um, the other thing that, that I kind of want to touch on, on this topic, you know, well, obviously there's the why of like, why would you go for this versus the layman's articles? You know, layman's articles are readily available. They're easier to digest. So why would you go through all the, the, the difficulty of finding the scientific articles and you know having to track them down some of them are behind paywalls and that type of thing and you know this is gets back to something that damien and i discussed and it's really about getting down to the the absolute source and so um that's important uh, to to look at you know this the original source because you know scientific findings are the highest level of knowledge that we have on topics but we're also and getting to a point where you would hopefully take the time 
to, to read something. And then if you're really, really serious about forming an opinion on this, let alone the goal that you've set yourself to, of the reason why you went to that information in the first place, but perhaps you're not even reading the discussion section of a paper to try and form your own opinions before you get colored by the author's thoughts. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really getting to the source, really questioning what you know, and then putting the hard work in to actually come up with your own conclusions. Mm-hmm. It's yep. very different yep. than reading something that's just all processed for you, cherry-picked for you, and then you just agree with them at the end, and then you bank that, and then that's, that's your only thought on a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually just kind of another thing that kind of touches on this because it gets into our next topic for today but i've i've uh as a mid-year resolution i don't know what you would want to call it but i'm actually trying to commit to reading a paper every day if i can so i have a ton of i have a huge library i think it was like over a thousand papers and i'm looking at it going i need to start getting into this more so that's that's the goal i'm setting right now i'm announcing it hopefully i stick to it but yeah, that's, that's a hard goal, I think, even for sports scientists who are professionals and academics that are in it to try to maintain a, a paper a day. But like most PhD students, if they're really good PhD students, are probably re- probably reading multiple papers a day. Uh, I struggled to hold that many, to read that many papers a day. So, um, but that was, that was one topic and, or one point in there. And then the other thing is something I think about a lot uh, and it's kind of this buyer beware of the athletes who are, that is consuming these training blogs. And maybe you wouldn't realize this unless you're in the thick of it. But, you know, I've written quite a few articles for Training Peaks over the year. It's got a good product and the blogs are not the worst. But I've never been paid for my services. So, if uh, maybe Damien, have you you've been along around in cycling long enough? Have you ever heard the Bontrager's uh, phrase that he has about bike parts? No, haven't heard it. So, so he says, "Cheap, uh-huh. built well, yep. light. Yep. Pick two, right?" And I have a similar saying for um, training blogs, and that is free, high quality content or many articles, right? So pick two, either free, high quality articles or many articles. And uh, something, uh, something like Training Peaks that is free and has a lot of articles, you're gonna potentially have questionable quality because they have to just pull in articles from anyone. And to kind of, um, to kind of explain this a little bit further is, Let's say you're a new coach and you have less experience, but you want to get the word out there about what you, um, about your coaching business. It's going to be more um, appealing to you to write an article for Training Peaks, and so you're going to look at things up. But you, th- at the same time, you're going to have less experience and less knowledge and and um, to to do this. And so, and then the other option would be that and this was me when I came out of my masters is like I had a good uh general idea about exercise physiology but there was certain topics that I would have to research more that because they were outside of my expertise 
um, in order to feel comfortable writing an article on it. So at that point, I'm, you know, spending a good eight to 10 hours doing research or more and, and, and to write this article and I'm not getting paid for it. So at some point, um, I, I, I have to stop because it just becomes, doesn't become financially feasible to, to work for that much for free anymore, um, for somebody else basically. And then the other option would be is you would have a potentially a scientist that would be writing about their specific expertise. So if, for example, um, I guess if I wrote about my PhD findings and published that in uh, training peaks, like it wouldn't take me very, it wouldn't be very hard for me to write an article on that. Um, because I've been writing about this a, a lot and I've published in journals and stuff like that about it. So the, it, the difficulty level would be low, but the expertise level would be high. But at that time, when you have that individual, then it kind of irks me that publications, these publications aren't um, paying the authors for, for that because if they're bringing in that amount of expertise. Now, to clarify, that's not to say that I wouldn't ever publish uh, somewhere for free. That's, but at the same time, um, yeah, it's just kind of a buyer be beware type of um, scenario that is going on there. That not everything that's going to be coming out of these blogs are going to be a hundred percent or great because a lot of times it's just whoever they can get to fill the void and write whatever. So, yeah, there's my thoughts. I don't know if you guys have any additional thoughts on that. Nope, I think covered that. <laughs> Thanks for the rant, Jason. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I could got, get I deeper in that, add. but I, yeah. um, did you? So, but Damon, did you ever read, uh, write for Training Peaks at all, or any of these other? Is, is your content like always been on? Because you have a lot of content, right? Because you have like many, many episodes uh, on the Semi Pro Podcast. So, did you ever expand into any other media? No, I just stayed with no. my strengths. But the thing I do know with Training Peaks, you have to go through a process to be some type of like qualified coach in order to write for them, I think. Mm. You can't, mm. not, yeah, not yeah. anybody can. And I've never done any of that stuff with Training Peaks. Uh, yeah. So I wouldn't I even qualify so if they, I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, maybe they've changed that. Um, uh, yeah, I wonder if that'd be interesting if they would reject an article from me because I'm not one of their qualified coaches, even though I'd have a PhD in sports science. So I, that'd be a, a good one to test, I guess. Um, but Cyrus, you write quite a bit, and that's actually how Damien found you. Do you publish outside? Have you ever published outside of your website? Yeah, I've done a bit for Cycling Tips before and for a few other publishers mm -hmm. in Australia, but I've found they tend to be more interested in writing about my own cycling exploits, like the, the writing I've done about that rather than sports science side of things. So I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that gets a bit frustrating because mm -hmm. I just think, well, there's a thousand other continental level cyclists out there. Um, <laughs> And I can't mm -hmm. see that being that interesting. But um, at the same time, I'm not really too annoyed if my writing's getting published mm -hmm. somewhere either way. But yeah, the... It gets the clicks. Yeah, it gets the clicks. It, it does <laughs> seem like the 
demand for the sort of yeah uh, bringing the scientific research to the masses hasn't been recognized yet but um, I do feel like there is more momentum coming there as people are investing more in their training and trying to find the the best ways to get faster on their bike I think it uh, I'm not sure whether it's because I'm moving more into the space or there is genuinely more momentum there but it does seem like the demand is increasing now Hmm. Mm. Um, so I don't know if I told you guys last thing on this. Did I tell you guys that I pitched the article for my whole stream of thought uh, in last week's episode about uh, the um, the FTP workouts? I don't know. Did I tell you I, I pitched that to a magazine? Uh, you. I don't think you. I don't think I've heard this news. If there's news coming. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, so I pitched it. Uh, last Friday, I sent a uh, an email, and I haven't heard anything back. Right. <laughs> so, so I'll, I'll keep you guys posted. But I did uh, try to pitch it to somebody to see if I could write the article. Uh, it'd be a bit controversial, but yeah, it'd be it'd be fun to write. I just wanted to take a quick break here to say thanks for stopping by and listening to the show, and to give you a quick reminder about who we are and where you can find us. The show is a collaborative project between sports scientist and cycling coach Dr. Jason Boynton, professional cyclist and cycling coach Cyrus Monk, and myself, Damien Roos, professional cycling coach and author of the Cycling Science Digest. If you want to get in touch with any of us or find out more about what we do, check out the show notes of this episode for links to each of our websites or social media accounts. Also, a reminder that you can be part of the show too. We host the show live on Clubhouse every week. Just search Clubhouse for the Cycling Performance Club and you'll see our scheduled room. And with that, let's get back into it. The last uh, discussion point today is something new and different. And that is the, you know, our, our, what I framed as or I've coined as is our current coaching to-do list. So like I said, this is, has to do with things that are on our radar that we'd like to incorporate into our coaching or have our athletes do either analyses or devices or methods or something like that. Something that we know of, but haven't had enough time to really look into deeply to really decide if we want to use it. And, but even if you would have enough time to look into it, do you, you know, just the taking the time to switch things over to implement it, you know? So, and this, you know, to frame this, it gets into this idea that I think all of my colleagues here would agree is if you want to be a good coach, uh, you have to be passionate about finding new information and new ways to approach things. And, and so that part of that. Is, it sounds really good, but at the same time, in order to be developing like that, you have to admit by default that you have ignorance. And that puts coaches in a tough spot to admit they have ignorance. And, and so today, I mean, we're going to be admitting that we have ignorance about something, and, and I think that's okay. 
you know, some things I'll be admitting people be like, I've been doing that for like five, 10 years. Where you been? Well, it's just sometimes you get to it when you get to it. And, but I think the important thing is, is that, you know, we're sharing these, these things that are on our to-do list. We're going to compare our list today. We're going to try to help direct each other, not going to get into in depth in the conversation, but, uh, you know, we've, we thought if we shared our, our, our list with each other, it would help us like I said, it'll help us develop. And then hopefully some of the you know, other coaches and other athletes might be thinking, oh yeah, I've never heard of that. Or, oh, this would, you know, uh, would be really good um, to look into myself. Or send uh, advice. So, <laughs> or send advice. Yeah, we'll take, we'll take advice too. Or, or, or send some references or, or anything like that. It'd be, it'd be awesome. So, um, and so just the start this out with a little anecdote because that's how I usually start things out a lot of times with with topics is yesterday I was reading a um, article that was written by Andrew Jones who you know he's the guy he's Mr. Critical Power all the critical power stuff that's coming out of his lab uh, he's also Mr. Beetroot Juice <laughs> um, if you if you follow him on Twitter his Andy Beetroot and He's just a really good scientist, and he's like usually puts out him in his uh, lab puts out a review like every year, basically on critical power. And the one that I was was looking at was kind of just making the argument for critical power being uh, better, the best way to measure threshold, which i.e. better than uh, lactates, better than maximal lactate steady state, and better than functional threshold power, and. And then it came to this crossroads where, you know, I had to come up with a topic for this week to discuss. And I'm like, well, this is what I've been reading, but I don't have enough time to, I'm not at the point where I really want to go through my whole thought process on this as in, in depth as we did with the, like last week. And then it got me to me thinking, I was like, I have a lot of, or I have a number, a lot <laughs> of things that are on my plate right now that that I just need to find time to get to. And it's, you know, my, my coaching process is certainly functional. It's certainly developing athletes and to a, a great potential. But at the same time, going back to what I was saying, I have to re- realize my ignorances and things and be, have things that I want to explore. So um, with that kind of spiel, I think I'll open it to Damien first and just, you know, because my thing out of the gate is uh, do do I want to um, change my whole measurements for threshold from functional threshold power to critical power? But I'll I'll say that just that'll be my, I want to go through a rotation and come back to that one. Uh, I've been talking too much, so I'll hand it over to Damien. What do you think there, bud? What's, what's your first on your list? These are going to be, it's going to be like speed dating of, 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 the, of uh, topics here. All right. First on my list is nose breathing. Oh. Have you been seeing those you Instagram the, ads with the <laughs> stupid like mouth cover thing to, mm. to make you nose breathe? They've been no, popular. No, oh, but it certainly, popular. it certainly seems to be around a lot and yeah it, i'm did you, interested did you hear in it. the you know, reaction not that, I, from not that the... I believe anyone has yeah yeah like yeah I, I don't believe that 
for right now, I don't believe there's anything um, out there that would mm. really uh, help me, you know, roll it out to athletes or myself. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's worth an investigation. And you might get a sense of going through the items on my list. Like you understand how topics end up as podcast episodes because they they need time to go through and see what's really out there. And nose breathing, it doesn't initially seem like uh, there's much to it, but I bet you there's a whole bunch of sides that people are coming to it from. And then you've mm-hmm. got to sift through all of that and get to the real stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But... Um. Uh, yeah, uh, I just I thought it was kind of funny in a way. Um, uh, Cyrus and I's reaction once you, once you said that, like the two physiologists were like, "Hmm," the the sound we made. Um, but that's you know, I I can see why people would be interested in that, especially if it's kind of uh, kind of coming out um, without getting into the physiology too much. Um, I don't think I'd be too worried about it. Cyrus, what do you think? I feel I was just thinking then I'm maybe a bit um, against it just because I'm a mouth breather. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that, that's that hashtag inside jokes. Yeah, with within the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah, I was just thinking then there was a a six month period where I had sinusitis, so I couldn't breathe through my nose at all, and um, was still still writing then so i'm happy that i didn't find anything during that period that said that nose breathing is essential because otherwise i would have been um pretty down about that but i think yeah just to touch on the physiology side of things like and jason you'd be able to you'd know a fair bit more about this but just the what the limiting factor is with aerobic performance isn't generally how much air you can get into your lungs Mm -hmm. um Mm-hmm. Unless there's something going wrong there, but uh, yeah, basically yeah, a lot um, of it just comes down to to red blood cells and mitochondria, and mm-hmm. uh, they they don't know where whether the air is coming through your nose or your mouth. So that would mm-hmm. that's my very superficial thinking on the matter without looking into it at all. But I'd I'd be yeah. happy for someone else to look into it so I can read that. I'm not sure whether I would spend my time going deep into that one. Yeah. Yeah, it, speaking, the thing that speaking, fasc- uh, fascinates me about it is that I do know that mm-hmm. there's certain cycling cultures where they will train with tape over their mouth. Yeah, that's so, so people are going mm-hmm. to a lot of effort to do something, recommend mm-hmm. something that is potentially just does nothing. So it's sort of mm-hmm. fascinating to me that people would go to these lengths and recommend this stuff to athletes. So mm-hmm. I want to dig into it a little bit more. Maybe I'll have to report back. I yeah. think it's a good I'd topic like to, to touch it. on. I think. Every single one of these is almost as a, a report back, but um, yeah, um, as just by the nature of the discussion, the the only thing I can think of is, and this is also like we were talking about training piece, we were talking about blogs, we were talking about old references. I wrote a uh, article called the big the big lung myth for training peaks, uh, so that it kind of touches on the lung stuff. Um, the and, but in how big lungs aren't necessarily needed for great endurance performance, but the the only thing i can think of is uh, just somehow developing efficiency of 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 the of the diaphragm uh, and and filtering that, and is then, one i've heard as well yeah yeah so so there's uh, there's a lot of random takes on this so we'll see i i guess i, I and i guess it gets down to like in the hierarchy of things that i am looking at it's not real high 
would, wouldn't be really high for me. But no, it's a really good one to bring up. Not to say like it's it's wrong for you to have that at the height high, high, height of your list, but it's good to maybe bring it up at the height of your list because not everyone's a physiologist, and it could and there's quite a few people that have have hopped on this. So yeah, it's a good one to bring up right but away. Are, I wouldn't even thought of that one. Are we ordering this list yeah. of most important first? No, 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 no. I don't think so. So. Um, are we good on that? Are we ready for yeah. Cyrus here? Yep. All right. Let's. What, what do you got? Uh, mine would be first one: functional reserve capacity. So it's something mm. that I've had a, worked on a bit with my previous coach. Was looking into it a bit with me, and we were doing a bit on it. And so basically, to define what it is, as far as I know, and I'm I'm really not across this very much at all, is. Basically, it's just a model to indicate how much work you can do at a high intensity and that amount of work will run out over time throughout an interval session or a race. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Do either of you have a better definition of it before I go into it? Actually, this this actually kind of dovetails into my topic about, I think... Because I'm not really familiar with all... This is a Training Peaks thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a WKO thing as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. So this dovetails really well with what I was talking about. Um, So FRC is basically a... My understanding, because I know... I don't... I know the science side better than I know the Training Peaks side. But FRC, I think, is just a relabeling of W prime. Yeah. And so you're probably yeah. aware of W prime. Yeah. Same thing. And so I think this, like I said, where I was thinking about, do I, do I move from what functional threshold power, which is a commercial measure of threshold and move into critical power, which is a scientifically validated measure of threshold. Um, and with, once you get into critical power, then you are talking about W prime and all of the things you can do, the mathematical modeling that you can do around W prime. And, you know, when this W prime stuff was developed, I think, you know, uh, Coggin reads the literature like everybody else was like, oh, I need to have this for training peaks. Otherwise, the science, the the free science <laughs> that's out there is going to outpace uh, training peaks, you know, golden yeah. cheater, whoever is just going to put this into the, uh, into their software. Like people are just going to start building spreadsheets, uh, and that type of thing. Um, and yeah, I, for me, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought about it much. I mean, and this is supposed to be really good for, for intervals. And I, I think, you know, how we were talking about how I do intervals, I think like last week or the week before, and it gets down to, you have to define critical power or FTP, and that number fluctuates quite a bit. And you're gonna use an an older number from a test that could be a couple weeks old in order to kind of calculate where, uh, to, to calculate this W prime or FRC number, functional reserve capacity and so it could be slightly off there's going to be some play in those numbers but i'm not going to i mean this this could easily go on my list as well yeah cyrus so yeah i like the idea of it because it 
I just think of it as like then we as cyclists become Formula One cars. Like it's just a mathematical model that you can then basically the the applications of it in a race is pretty amazing if it if the model is good enough then the director can be sitting there with essentially just like someone's each rider's battery like as their functional reserve capacity and look at that from the the live data on their bike and just say right this rider's about to blow get him to do his last bit now and then get him out of the way like but Mm -hmm. The thing I always think about with this is what is the physiological marker for these? Like what is actually happening within the body mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. for this battery running out? And a body doesn't have a battery. <laughs> like there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different mm-hmm. chemical processes at play within the muscle mm-hmm. and within the blood. But whether that model will ever actually be accurate enough to define... Mm-hmm the interval sessions and mm-hmm. race tactics I'm not sure about yet and mm-hmm. I'd like to be able to to see more research on that before I start using it myself. It's mm-hmm. definitely the dream. Yep. The dream is that you have the thing on you when you're riding and you figure out exactly how much you've used and then you turn around and use that information in whatever way it's, you know, whether it is interval training or racing or whatever. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, where it sort of stands now, and I kind of use, I do use FRC and um, DFRC, dynamic functional reserve capacity. Mm-hmm. I use mm-hmm. both of them, uh, not strictly to make decisions on, but to watch them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. W- watch what's happening. So uh, with the balance of training, uh, how is anaerobic capacity? Um, is it declining? Is it increasing? Yeah. Do I need to do something about it? And then the, the dynamic one for uh, a session an interval session or a race or whatever, um, you have to make sure that the model is up to date. But uh, I just use it to see trends because you can see if it's if everything is everything is equal. Someone's doing three repeats of a certain duration. You can see how hard the effort was going into those. So you can kind of see if somebody didn't put in a lot of effort in specific intervals, or they didn't have anything left when they're finished things like that so it it gives you a bit of an idea it's just to eyeball things after you see a workout and it's just for me it's just another um just another tool that i can just use to help me make um, decisions for the next training session yep uh, all right um and then so like i was saying with the ftp and the critical power one for me uh is just um the uh you know how ha- how much do they really differentiate? And then as soon as you go into that, then it's what zones are you going to pick based off the critical power? Um, and, but the critical power is, is based around physiology. That's the argument that's there for that. And functional threshold power is not necessarily based off physiology. However, um, then it gets into an argument of how close is FTP to critical power, critical power in the last paper i was reading was slightly above it but um yeah that's just just to kind of name where i'm at or name something that i'm just kind of looking at right now and potentially considering is swap switching over from functional threshold power to critical power um damien what is next on your list another thing on my list here is revisiting my mental skills toolbox 
Mm-hmm. This is for myself as a coach. So revisit myself as a coach. What type of coach am I? What scenarios do I work best on? It's kind of like a personal development side for me. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. um, or probably also added to that would be uh, how to work through my emotional connection that I have with athletes and how I can mm-hmm. separate myself in certain times to make better decisions that aren't based on emotion. Mm-hmm. They're based on logic and fact. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, how do you need to be person- a jerk? Is that, you just need to be a jerk, Damien. Well, that's one model. <laughs> it's successful for some coaches, I'm sure. Some athletes probably love it as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's, yeah, I need to look at this and I'm questioning whether I want to do any more formal study in this area as well. Uh, so it's it's a pretty big one on my list, I would say. Um, but at bare minimum, I kind of just want to get across um, just a few kind of areas. So I've I've got them there. I've checked them with myself, and then I have something to offer athletes. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. That's a very interesting one because you're focusing on like your psyche, right, as opposed to like a questionnaire for the athlete or an analysis for the athlete. So that's a really good one, um, Cyrus. Uh, yeah, just to touch on that one before my own, just, yeah, the, I think for me, that's something I've just been working on, but just as a matter of gaining experience coaching. And I think that's where having mm-hmm. an experienced coach is really valuable. Um, in, cause there's some things that you can't gain from anything other than experience and just working with mm-hmm. a range of different athletes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely Damien's biggest strength is just having that repertoire of working with so many athletes that you mm-hmm. gain that stuff along the way. And I've definitely noticed that, yeah, the difference between each athlete is huge, not just on the physiology mm-hmm. side, but the mental side of things. So, yeah, a lot of it you can only really gain from experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, which comes yeah. into my second topic. Which is, oh, you're on, oh sorry, Did that I, wasn't your topic, eh? No, that wasn't my topic. Um, no, I was just like, okay. So, what's your topic? No, what's what's your what's, was, what's on your to do list? Yeah, so that <laughs> that would be just looking more into the differences between male and female athletes because I'm coaching a few female athletes, and we've touched on this before in mm-hmm. another chat. I don't think it was on one of the podcasts, mm-hmm. but. Um, Mm -hmm. it is something that is just a massive hole in the research because it's so hard to get comparison studies or any studies on females, let alone comparison studies. Um, and then just to be able to, to look at, cause I, I'm of the opinion and of my reading at the moment that the difference between two male athletes is likely to be just as much as between a male and female athlete like each Mm -hmm. athlete is different different regardless Mm -hmm. so obviously Mm -hmm. there's no yeah cookie cutter approach where you treat all your athletes the same and i don't think any good coach is doing that anyway but i think looking at knowing what exactly it is that is going to be the difference between each athlete and how that Mm -hmm. affects your training program um, because mm-hmm. I, yeah, and definitely, I don't know if I'm overcautious at times of treating my male and female athletes differently in the training program and whether that's really that necessary. Okay, so I have a nice little anecdote for you there, Cyrus. Um, I, a few years ago, I went down this path and I think we discussed this, so this is rehashing for you. I'm not sure if Damien was in a discussion that day or not. Um, 
yeah, so I went to a conference, it was ACSM. I, I saw a, a speaker there. She was talking about the um, differences between men and women. And then also, um, this was the um, uh, Stacey Sims thing, where she was uh, a big proponent of the differences between men and women. And so I started doing research on this. And one of the, you know, obviously the biggest difference, one of the biggest differences between men and women is their, their women's cycle. And that is divided into two. And we have a pretty good idea when one of the phases starts because there's, you know, something that is external there that marks that. Um, but then, then when the phase switches again, that's, you know, that's, that's the kicker in this whole female specific training. And, and so like if you're trying to figure out what time of training you're going to do during one phase versus the other. And then from what I could tell, when I looked at this, it was just basically like reasoned conclusions around this is when you do endurance. This is when you do high intensity because of this, this is going on in this phase and this is going on in this phase. Um, but to make a long story short, Cyrus say I came to the same conclusion as you, um, one, because I realized looking at the, trying to figure out the difference between the, the luteal and the follicular phase, um, it, when that switch, when that changeover happens within one individual is going to be very tough. It could fluctuate by days. Um, and maybe there's some ways you could get around that in the training. But at the end of the day, if you just treat each one of your athletes as individuals, um, and with an open dialogue, you know, say you have a female athlete that has, um, potentially very painful cramps or something like that, then she can come to you and tell you about it. And you can plan the potentially, uh, plan the training around it. And maybe it, but you could have a female athlete that has no problems with that. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I had a very similar end, uh, Damien. Nothing Could to you, add. What, you thought nothing to add? Okay. <laughs> I, I haven't actually coached a female athlete in a few years, so mm. uh, it has not mm. been on my radar at all. I know that there's sort of more science coming out, so it, there is some things mm -hmm. to reference, and uh, mm -hmm. I'll just be interested to hear where Cyrus ends up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, big shout out to Serene Lee, who's doing all of her research on female cyclists down at Murdoch, so hopefully maybe someday we'll have a conversation with her. Um, smart young lady and former Singaporean road champion. Um, so my next thing on my list, is it my turn or is it? Yeah, it's your turn. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, the next thing on my list is a, we talk about performance modeling almost every, every episode. And here's where I drop the bomb where I say PMC is functional but I want to look into other models that are more scientific or so performance modeling chart, uh, in training peaks is what I'm talking about. What I'm referring to here, it's functional and I've had success with it. I think you guys are probably all, have all had success with it, but I think it's worth listen, looking into the scientific models that are out there to see if there's anything better and any, a better way to measure training load and a better way to model performance. Um, and and I'll just throw this in there, like the over one, the, the analogy that I came up with for this whole conversation earlier today, I was talking with someone, I was bringing in a new athlete and she was in it. Uh, and it's kind of like, 
it's it's like if you wrote code for something and you know the code works but in but you once you've written the code and you develop as a as a programmer you're like i could go back in and write that code better so it's just a matter of when you can go in and write that code better that's kind of like where this discussion is i think and, and if you want to use a uh, an analogy but um yeah for me uh i know there's a number of uh studies uh, around training load and different models and i'd like to look into them and figure out if I, there's something better that i could be using any thoughts on that guys yeah i've definitely thought the same thing even just as i'm doing sessions thinking about the the impact that's going to have on my pmc versus the impact it's actually having on my body so like for example yesterday's session was just i think we we sort of touched on this uh last week about different training in zones like time in zone versus the actual impact it's having so my session yesterday each hill i'm essentially riding up at around 150 percent of ftp so i think it's zone six in the coggin model but that accumulated time in that zone is probably 20 minutes um but spaced out evenly throughout the ride and if I was to do that in an interval session where I'm repeatedly going to that, it's going to have a hugely different impact to if I'm doing it like I did yesterday where the session actually felt quite easy. And I don't think it was going to... It's then... yes. So yesterday, it's basically targeting more anaerobic means of, of energy production. And whereas if I was to do it in an interval session, then it's going to the target more aerobic and the tss result in that goes into training peaks is the same thing for both like the normalized power ends up being effectively similar if you just chuck in yeah each each second like the the ping pong ball analogy i think we used last week like each second that goes in there and then that's has a a wattage on it and then you get spit out at the end this normalized power and your hence your tss but yeah it got that got me thinking yesterday along similar lines of is this actually showing up in training peaks with the the load that i'm putting on my body is that accurate for what's Mm -hmm. in the chart because you can do Mm -hmm. yeah effectively sessions that show up the same in training peaks but are having hugely different effects on the body Mm mm-hmm um and just to quickly add to that um one of the one of the you know and what about uh the effects of environment so uh because it the whole pmc was based off of the banister model uh, but that is based off of heart rate and and pmc is based off power and if you have a hot day then your power goes down but your heart rate could potentially go up or stay the same and but you're potentially going to have more distress is going to be more um, related to the cardiovascular load than it is going to be to the power. And this is demonstrated experimentally. Um, and so when this is, so, you know, training piece has this, these forums or whatever, where you can um, uh, suggest changes. And one of the changes that I suggested was that toggle switch in the workout that goes from TSS to heart rate TSS because 
of this environmental problem where if you have an athlete that goes out on a hot day, then the power is going to go down, but the heart rate goes up and the TSS is going to be artificially low. And riding and so, at altitude yes. as well in that situation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't want to, don't want to get too deep in these conversations, but, I, uh, yeah, there was just really good points there. Um, next Damien. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, just to add to that, I was mm-hmm. actually talking to someone last week in the cycling performance software space. We were having this exact discussion about the usefulness of TSS and how mm-hmm. the, the, the reason it probably hasn't been replaced so far is because the alternatives aren't good enough yet. There's nothing that's presented itself as so much better than what's mm-hmm. available. Um, yep. And I was bringing up these points and he's like, no, no, you know, I've created something that's totally different that accounts for um, fiber usage within a session and then models it off that. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll be releasing something very soon that changes the way we think about the PMC. Mm. Um, mm. Of course, what from what I'm hearing from you guys is, yeah, there's all these other factors and we all know there's all these other factors. And how do you shove all of that into the decision Mm-hmm. of how you actually mm-hmm. um, model load. Um, but I've, I'm firstly interested to see what comes out of this guy's project. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. And secondly, Jason, I'm interested to see what you come up with because um, everyone talks about there's a future out there where mm-hmm. you, you can model load through machine learning and all these buzzwords mm-hmm. to come up with something and then that's that's going to change everything. But uh been around a long time and I've been interested in this stuff a long time and I still haven't seen anything that has any uh, viability first in the in the science realm and then you got to add commercial viability on top of that so mm-hmm. yeah the problem I mean the PMC has never been validated and this is an argument or debate that uh, Paula Manespa and I have had multiple times um, <laughs> uh, but but the banister model has been validated um and so it's like well why didn't they just use the banister model i don't know um because you know because because they wanted to stick with power or something but the thing with the difference between besides the heart rate uh the difference between those two models is complexity so the the more accurate a model gets it also tends to get more complex and if it gets more complex then it's going to be less user-friendly and less commercially viable and so one of the things that for my stuff is, you know, do I need training peaks and walking away from training peaks and using things that are uh, in the literature or are um, open source just to get away from that type of stuff? But what, what you're dealing with here with a lot of coaching stuff, not just the training peak stuff, is that is the concept of path dependency. You know, I don't know if you guys heard, I've heard this or not, but uh, basically like the space shuttle, the width of the space shuttle is, is based on the width of a horse's ass. I don't know if you've ever, guys, if you guys ever heard that. Did not. And it goes into that. the width of a horse's ass uh, is, it was correlated with the width of a road and the width of a road was correlated with, with the width of uh, the railroad tracks and width of the railroad tracks is what they needed to figure out for the space shuttle. So it, it, you and this is all well, and it's all path dependency. We 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 could have different widths uh, for for railroad tracks, but the thing is, we already have the railroad tracks laid everywhere. So changing the width of the railroad track is actually going to be more energy into the system than it's worth. 
for for what the advantages is. So I would never, I, I, I don't think, unless we came out and there was like these, there's a lot of debate between like people like uh, Phil, Philip Skiba and others that are very critical of training peaks in the Coggin method. And, and because they, he's probably developed something better. And, uh, but you know, Coggin got to it first, it blew up and it works to an extent. And we could be arguing about the finer points, but again, uh, because of he got there first, then now it's path dependency for a lot of people. So it's going to be hard for people to move out of it unless there's a big advantage for them to take that on. And that's just going to be, especially for like the coach that's going to be doing this in, in their spare time, you know, like the training peaks style is already kind of set up and ready to use and you don't have to think about it too much. So is it your turn, Cyrus? I or think do you have any more? Still, still Damien. That was on the last topic. Damien? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. It's me. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Damien. Sorry. Uh, three words, continuous glucose monitoring. Yeah. That was mm. on mine too. <laughs> um, it seems to be, blowing up lately like my Mm -hmm. twitter feed is full of people on the science medical side of things starting Mm -hmm. to come out and be very critical of it um i've got Mm -hmm. one of these uh libra sensors sitting on my desk that i've had there for a few months Mm -hmm. um to pair up with the uh, super sapiens app to try Mm -hmm. out from a personal perspective and i haven't pulled Mm -hmm. the trigger on that yet because Mm -hmm. It just seems like one of those things that I have to put some thought into and I don't have that mm. capacity for that. But I don't know. And the UCI recently banned them for in-competition use. Um, mm. Mm. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of noise about it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. digging in and figuring out if it's useful, why it would be useful personally, um, what do I look like, what does that mean? There's mm-hmm. a lot of questions I have around it that I haven't uh, put any time to. Yeah, that Dave Martin podcast kind of t- touched on that. Um, and yeah, that was pretty recent. So I don't know, maybe we could just link that in the show link and I can share it with you guys. But um, David Martin is always very optimistic about things and he's a super nice guy. So it's going to be hard for him to be super critical about things. Um, but, you know, he's he's very very excited to see how how this all turns out so if he's excited to see how it's turning out then i might sense a little bit of skepticism about it you know he's so um i think in one of those things was um these monitors are really good at monitoring when glucose is too high that's what it was supposed to be used for medically but we don't really know yet like what too low even means and it's, it's and, and and you're measuring a concentration. This is another thing he brought up. You're measuring concentration of the glucose in the blood, but it doesn't really good isn't really good for um, flux. Like f- how like you you could have a, a high high input high output for glucose, but the level staying static. And and so um, I think my, my my feelings on this is going to be similar to the core temperature stuff that we see. It's going to be if it's easy enough to to just record and compile data over time then okay cool then we can just record the data and have it and look for correlations over time cyrus are we have anything else on that or cyrus you want to um, yeah tell us oh what, well, that was, next that was on mine 
as well. But uh, yeah, that's just one that I always um, get annoyed at myself if it. That's one two athletes have asked me about it now, um, mm. and I always get annoyed at myself if an athlete asks me something and I can't answer it straight away because I think, geez, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to supposed to it's know that. Me. And it's supposed to be on top of it. Yeah, and it's always the, especially when it's, oh, why aren't I using this if these work? Because obviously, the first thing the athlete sees is the ad showing how good it is. Um, yeah, and yeah. then and, and my and instant is, response is usually it doesn't work because of this, mm. um, which is often most of the things that an athlete will see an ad for. Whereas with this, I was like, well, I actually don't know if it works or not, so I need to find that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that the funny thing is, is like in the, in the intro, you know, we say cutting edge coaches and then here we are just kind of admitting our ignorance about things and how we need to check things out. I think, so, but that's, that's, that's totally fine though. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the most with important this, thing is yeah. you, you, with things like this that are, are so new, you actually have to wait until there's credible scientific research and mm-hmm. it's been replicated again. Like you almost need to wait mm-hmm. until the replication study, which for mm-hmm. people that, aren't aware that's when because you it's it's relatively easy and jason would be able to sort of back this up to get a study out there showing what you want if you look for the right journal so Mm -hmm. you can Mm -hmm. essentially pick your conclusion before you start the study get Mm -hmm. the the work done do some data manipulation and you've got your results supporting your hypothesis and there will be a journal generally that takes takes it because they're going to profit from people clicking yep. on that and buying yeah. that article, whereas yeah. which the, is which is shady AF, right? Yeah, so, um. yeah, exactly. But it's and then of course you get people saying, "Look, it's a scientific study, shows mm-hmm. that it works." And then for us, when we're looking for whether this is actually going to be useful to athletes and worth investing mm-hmm. in, we're looking for a replication study or preferably more or a meta meta-analysis along the line which is done by independent um scientists which is then looking at does this actually mm-hmm. work they do it under mm-hmm. similar conditions or the same conditions and see if they get the same results mm-hmm. with their own data yep. analysis so mm-hmm. with these things yeah it's the often the scientists are going to be late to the party on these kind of things mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're waiting to actually see the the science behind mm-hmm. it rather than mm-hmm. jumping on something yep. that's been shown once before yeah this is actually a reoccurring theme that's come up in both the podcasts that damien and i have done with each other is that whatever is the latest and greatest has the least amount of information and data to back it back its efficacy up and also kind of guide how to use it yeah so that like buyer beware you know another buyer beware there yeah uh so i think it's my turn and this one's almost embarrassing i've been wanting i i can i can almost put on the calendar the day that i came across this it's been sitting on my to-do list for years i'm gonna i'm gonna cry in my hands here uh and i think damien you're just talking to me about this one arrow lab with golden cheetah am i right uh i've moved on from arrow lab really now so I'm you're talking not doing Aero Aero <laughs> mm. So this is so much for Jason being anywhere near cutting edge. Um, but uh, so so why have you gone from one product to the other? What did you what did you like about Aerolab? What did you not like about it? Why you know? So go ahead. Well, this is actually this. On, this is on my list. Mm-hmm. So okay, it's a new product. It's a new software mm-hmm. that the idea behind it. 
uh, from the founder, the main founder. Should, should we explain is, what it is? Yeah, that's a good so idea. The, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we're talking generally about aero testing, finding mm-hmm. gains for uh, your CDA. It's basically a, a poor man's wind tunnel, right? Yeah. And then there's the uh, AeroLab, the Chung method through Golden Cheetah, mm-hmm. which is a module uh, that sets out a way to do aero testing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been around for a long time now, actually, mm-hmm. like 10 yeah. years or something. Embarrassment. And uh, <laughs> it's wonky. Like it, it's good if everything works, but it's it's wonky. And it's a mm-hmm. little... There's a, there's a learning curve for every step of the process from finding the right place to do it, finding the right weather, what changes to make, and then the uh, assessment in the actual software of um, what we, what the impact of those changes was on your on your aerodynamics. So this new software has come along, Aerojune, with the idea of maybe not getting down to um, the very small changes, but just trying to hit that low-hanging fruit in a process mm-hmm. that's a little more approachable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the yeah. reason I want to dig into it is because I have a, a, an athlete that's getting a TT, a new TT bike soon, and just to get up and running and to run a couple of tests just so you're in a pretty good position to start with and then you can start training and then if you have more time to optimize later on, um, it sounds more appealing to have... Uh, say like a Garmin Connect or a Garmin Connect IQ app on your screen, you find the right thing and then it just steps you through the process. It does everything automatically for you in the background Mm -hmm. and just comes up with numbers um, Mm -hmm. and makes that process uh, a lot simpler. Uh, Yeah. Well, I haven't done it and that's why it's on my list. So just to jump in on where I first came across this because it's an interesting story is – 2016 they had uh amateur worlds here in perth and uh, i was competing in the road race but uh um a friend of a friend my the friend his name was jason boynton as well he was another dr jason boynton shout out to dr jason boynton there in california one of his teammates was coming over here to compete and his teammate was going to compete in um, the time trial. That was his main focus. He wanted to be age group champion for his age group. And he rocked up with, uh, with a BMC time machine that was like 10 speed. So it wasn't even like the, like all the, the bomb, bomb ass shit. And, and uh, he was telling me about how he got himself on the equipment he had to to be at this level and he ended up winning so you have this like really nice anecdote to 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 plug golden cheetah or the aero lab and he was just said this is um this is what i did i just over the years and years i just would go out and ride circles in this point and adjust my fit and see what was better and here he is uh you know age group world champion on the time trial in the time trial and you know he beat this other guy by a second or two uh his comp his main competitor so uh very um interesting kind of anecdote but obviously it wasn't wasn't a strong enough one to, to like uh push me down it to be fair i was you know working pretty solid on my phd and didn't have enough time but still on the list of things um cyrus 
Do we have anything else on that? Do you have any comments about the Aerolab or or just introduce your next topic, I guess? Uh, next, yeah, just um, quickly on the Aerolab. I, I have used that um, around an indoor velodrome. Not, mm-hmm. not me doing the analysis. Luckily, I had a bike fitter doing that for me, but it uh, mm-hmm. it it did seem to work because I, I started, I went from not winning TTs to winning TTs while doing the same power. So that's my, <laughs> that's my terribly poorly evidenced anecdote. But uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it seemed to do the job. Um, mm-hmm. My next topic would be, and something we've touched on before, is training in a calorie deficit. And yeah, sort of exploring more how you can effectively do that because obviously a calorie deficit is a stress on the body, but just learning mm-hmm. how to factor that in with training stress and yeah, at at what point you need to give up on, not give up, but moderate one or the other goal in terms of mm-hmm. the, the deficit versus the, the training um when an athlete is trying to lose weight because it's obviously very important in a sport to in certain races it's purely just watts per kilo so at what point you prioritize watts and what point you prioritize kilos and where the gains are to be made on both of those Mm -hmm. um i don't really have any anything to really add to that um i mean other than what we kind of discussed uh the earlier uh last week with the the louise burke study i would have to i would be in the same boat as you um but it's not that's not actually on my list so um but it is it would be an interesting one to look at if you find anything let me know yeah (laughs) if you if you if you have any thoughts on that um do you have any thoughts on that damien yeah it's certainly on my radar as well just mm-hmm. wanting to optimize the process with a few athletes. So I have to have some go-to resources and hopefully some processes to do this. Um, getting For me, it's like getting focused around the energy expenditure calculations and then um, the specific fueling recommendations for different types of workouts. And it's something that I'm actually looking for a partner, meaning I'm, I am actually looking for a consultation with somebody that knows what they're talking about and has experience doing this and uh, that process itself I'm finding very difficult to find the right person so if anyone knows anyone I'm open to suggestions I'm uh I feel like you're trolling me because you were joking that I was dropped the name of a scientist like three times in the last episode so (laughs) but does that scientist (laughs) consult with world tour teams he's on a world tour team then he might not be available. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could you could always ask him. But the, it's it's difficult because there's there's lots of factors here to consider, and cost is one of them as well. Um, oh, he's got I've, like an app and things like that. Um, yeah, so yeah, an I'm app, sure he, yeah, sure yeah an app that's unreleased. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And an app is so an I, app, yeah. you know. Yeah, yep. No, no, I'm just saying, like, if you wanted to talk to him, if you have an app, then you have other business ventures outside of the team you're working with. So potentially, he would take do consultations. That's what I'm saying. So okay. that's just just my thought. Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't spell that out more or uh, better. Um, my topic uh, is uh, so I can skim over this one really quick because it's pretty much pretty related to what we've already talked about, and 
I would really like to be able to use Golden Cheetah with the R analysis packages that they have been have been meaning to do that. And what I like about that is um, I do not program in R yet. And if people want to know what R is, R is a, pro- a statistical programming language. It's super big with scientists, um, and it's a very free language to do lots of different analyses and and R has packages and for analyses so that uh, someone can program the analysis in R and then you can download the package and you have the kind of statistical tool to analyze the data you want. And there's a bunch of these uh, R packages that um, that do different analyses. So if you, and a good analogy or a good something that so that people who are listening can have an idea what I'm talking about um, would be like the power profiling that would happen in the dashboard on training peaks. Imagine each one of those graphs that you'd be able to pull out and put into your dashboard as would be like an R analysis package. The thing is, is that because they're open source, you aren't, you aren't relying on what training pinks thinks is the best analysis you can there's just a whole bunch of free packages out there to analyze your data and however you want and also because r is a you know is an open source language you can actually learn how to write your own analyses for your data so that is high level stuff and i would love to be able to get into that someday um, so again, kind of this continuing on of like, can I break away from training peaks and, and is it, do I really, or path dependency type things? Um, but that's all I have for that one. I don't, and I think we've, uh, you know, talked to, I had enough stuff that we talked about similarly already. I don't really have anything else to add to that. Um, Damien, do you want to introduce your topic or do you have anything else to say about that? Uh, nothing to add to that. Okay. Cyrus, um, yeah. Uh, no, nothing to add to that. Okay, Damien, your topic. Topics. Your or um, your uh, to do list. Sorry, yeah. your to do list. Uh, let me have a look here. I'm scouting locations for a European altitude training camp for train low sleep high over two thousand meters. Mm-hmm. Can't help you there, but. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe someone, maybe someone will listen to the podcast and give you, uh, give you uh, some ideas on that. Most, most uh, I've only done one in Val Thorens and French Alps and Andorra, but most in Europe, it's fairly easy to train low, sleep high, because uh, if you just find basically any ski resort and then stay there, it's... Uh, Were you able to sleep over 2,000 meters in Andorra? No, in Andorra, I was at 1,900, I think. In Val Thorens, it's 2,300. I think it's the highest place you can stay uh, on the mm-hmm. continent, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Um, but it's terrible for training because you... Well, not terrible, but it's very monotonous because you have the same 30K climb back to where you're staying every day on the one road. So, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of these small things that go into into picking a location i think like there's mm-hmm. there's a number of locations that sleeping and, and altitude is fine but then yeah like there's one road or you've got to drive somewhere for 30 minutes to get to 
a decent road to ride on and um yeah no Valcarans was was fine if as long as you were happy with just riding the same road every day home um but yeah the the riding there was good and you're in the middle of the french alps so i would add to that just to kind of be cheeky and he and not that funny but um i i guess not it wasn't on my list but now that you mentioned it 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 has been on on my to-do list to read more into the hypoxia literature there's actually a review that came out i think it was called training in hypoxia colon a conspiracy of maladaptation and that was i think it wanted, i want to say it was either second it was two authors one of the authors was jerome dempsey who is like old school amazing pulmonary physiologist um and he, he's actually from madison wisconsin so that's how i know him and he is a big big skeptic of altitude training and i got halfway through that review the phd started and i have not been able to get back to reading the end of it and i actually had a quick conversation with him about it. he's like oh you didn't read the end of it well, the end of it is what has to do with altitude training for 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 endurance sport and i was like oh yeah i'll have to get back to that so on the to-do list speaking of altitude training (laughs) um but there's actually some really good um youtube discussions from aspature they had a conference on altitude training and there was one by chris gore um aaron mcleave was in there she's a younger uh um sports scientist and also Lundby was, so there are three good um, discussions that for, uh, that would be up on YouTube about the whole altitude training. And there's another guy in there from the US. He also had his presentation. Uh, just really kind of easy to digest stuff about altitude training for you guys or anyone else that's listening that, um, that would want to look up altitude training stuff and ha- listening to a conversation about it from some experts as opposed to like having to dig into the literature um who's next uh i think it was me but i'm out of topics for now so ah. far away jason i have two left one grit questionnaires for new athletes this was exposed to me by two ways one uh i think it was her name is Angela Duckworth. She did an interview on Freakonomics, and this is where I was first exposed to this topic. So very, so through a very layman's way. Um, but my second exposure to it was through Greg Hoff, half Hoff, um, who is um, really well-renowned strength training scientist. He's actually at ECU. He does all this stuff. He was a president of the National Strength and Conditioning Association at one point. And he also has uh, athlete or you know, power lifters that he trains at ECU. So like he works there and then he goes downstairs into the gym and then he has a lab that's set up for him and these um, athletes that train with him. And one of the things that he has for his athletes is a questionnaire that has to do with grit. And I'm not going to jump on board and say that I'm going to do it. I, I want to be a little bit more skeptical around this, the whole grit thing before I give it to an athlete because um, it takes time for them. But it was really interesting to me. He is 10 times the sports scientist that I will ever be or more. But 
uh, it was just really interesting to me that he decided to use a grit questionnaire with his new athletes. So I don't know if you guys have any scientific questionnaires that you guys use with your athletes uh, or not, or had ever thought or no, heard I of don't. that. I don't, but it, this was part of my thinking around the mental skills toolbox for me and whether I do introduce something like this to get a better handle on the the capacity that uh, the athletes I work with have in certain areas to do with this. And, you know, grit is one of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't have right now, I don't have a reference for the exact one I would use, but it's definitely something I'm considering just to get a bit more formal around that process to see if there's any uh, ga- like any gaps that can be addressed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I see we have a question in the, the audience from uh, Vishnu. I, th- I think if we just finish off our topics real quick, we'll, we'll get to you if that's all right. Uh, on the, the grit side of things, yeah, I think um, I'm definitely quite informal with that kind of things. I do mm-hmm. use a a questionnaire but it's it's not yeah i wouldn't have that kind of thing in my questionnaire the questionnaire is more about training but uh what training they've been doing i think i try to just pick that up from conversations but i think personally i am of pretty low tolerance to the lack of grit uh i think which is definitely can be a downfall of mine but um mm-hmm. it for me I'm usually at the point where I sort of just am pretty upfront with the athlete saying that this isn't a sport for for soft riders. Like if you mm-hmm. if you want to go far in this sport, then grit is just essential. It's it's not an option mm-hmm. to um to miss out on that. So I think yeah, personally, I could probably get better at ways at developing that and mm-hmm. look at if yeah at uh having longer conversations with athletes about that but yeah personally Mm -hmm. i think because from my own experience and dealing with others it just seems like you have it or you don't and if you don't have it then you you're out of the sport fairly early on so um yeah i think it's definitely something i could work on developing with new athletes Mm -hmm. Mm do you have a i'm i'm through with my list do you have anything else you want to um no let's wrap wrap it up we'll go to the question great Vishnu, uh, you want to raise your hand? I'll bring you on stage and we can um, see what you want to talk about if you had any questions. Yep, you're, uh, you, are, you are on stage. We're, we're not recording right now. So um, when you ask your question, uh, we'll have to repeat it back so that people can, can hear it on the recording. So yeah, if you have a comment or question, go ahead, shoot. Mm-hmm. So just to repeat that back, Vishnu is... Uh, a newer cyclist and he's just looking sounds like he's you're looking for some general advice to help new cyclists in training and become better developed athletes cyrus or damien do you want to tackle that before i give my input uh i'd just recommend cycling over triathlon just i think we're all biased (laughs) biased towards that but uh Mm. i'd say even from a non-biased perspective, if you start with cycling and then uh, it will just build up your general um, aerobic capacity through that and then if you feel like you want to transfer to triathlon later down the line, but at least that way you've 
it's a lot simpler because you're focusing on one sport at a time and then you then have the option to expand from there if you choose to. Mm. Um, Damien? Do, do you have any specific questions or anything that you want help with? Okay, so Vishnu's, Vishnu's question was he wants to increase his stamina and currently right now he is riding 100 kilometers. Uh, so you want to be able to ride 300, 300 to 400 kilometers. Okay. Um, then, well, then you have to, at that point, then you're, then you're looking at probably a, a coach at some point. I mean, it's, it's hard to, I think, get into the professional ranks without the help of a coach along the way. I think with the general input that you were initially asking about, um, I, I wrote I actually wrote a, a blog about that since we're like plugging blogs, uh, past blogs and past podcasts, something like the the list of three things to improve your cycling performance. I can't remember, but it's it's on Training Peaks. I will probably just link it link it in the, the description. But the the point of that was was basically what I've just said. It was it was a, an instructional guide for what cyclists and athletes should do prior to having a coach um, help them. And those three things was one, ride your bike. So make sure that you are riding your bike that you're putting in because riding your bike is important for increasing improvement. So you wanna make sure that you are able to ride consistently and at a certain amount of volume uh, and be able to have the skills uh, the time management skills that will allow you to ride at the amount of time that you need. The second one was to make sure that you are logging all of your rides. And so make sure that, you know, if you do exercise, then you own it. And so, you know, you could, there's any number of, uh, uh, services out there or, or apps that allow you to, uh, track the amount of riding that you're doing and connected with that. The third one was to train and race with a power meter. And if you have a power meter and it's recording the data with a Garmin or a Wahoo and you're uploading that, then that's even better. Cause then you have the data to analyze from all of your rides over the time. So record, um, you know, riding your bike, uh, consistently and often, um, will help improve your performance as long as you're making sure you're working on your, your recovery. And then the other thing is keeping tr really good track of what you do uh, in terms of exercise. And also then if you can, then make sure that you get a power meter so that, um, that data is there so that when you do have a coach, you have an idea how to effectively use a power meter. And then all that data is there for the coach to analyze. Uh, I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that, Cyrus, Damien? Yeah, I think that's a good first first three steps. If you can start with those, then from that's makes it a lot easier once you do start working with a coach from then. Yeah, I'm just struggling to think of the name of it, <laughs> the, the, the precise name of it. Um, but it was yet another article that I wrote that was on um, Training Peaks and just around a way to help people kind of grasp like the um 
the basic things that they would need to do and to improve their performance on a bike. Um, and, and because that, I mean, the question that you pose has, this is a whole podcast around that, that question. And, um, you know, we've spent, all of us have spent a big part of our life kind of addressing that question. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, I definitely want to send you down, uh, at least the starting of the right path. And I think those three, the, those three things are going to be pretty helpful to, to include in, in your, uh, quiver there. So yeah, uh, really good questions, Vishnu. Um, I think I'm going to bring this podcast to an end. We were trying to get this under an hour today. <laughs> we're at an hour and 40 minutes. No regrets. It was a good conversation. And um, yeah, I I think I'll leave it at that. Is Cyrus, Damien, do we have anything else to say as far as um, uh, social media or anything? Uh, yeah, just one thing I was thinking, if you have any feedback, feel free to get in touch with us on the social media. Uh, so that's on mm-hmm. Twitter or Instagram and we'll have those links in the show notes and yeah if you have any topics you'd like us so any things you heard today that you'd like us to go deeper into mm-hmm. um, then we can yeah put our research hats on and get into those so yeah feel free to get in touch with us on that and we're happy to take this where the listeners want it to go Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, um, which reminds me, it's two of the topics that I would like to do deep dives on right now um, is just this concept of threshold. There's so many different types of thre- thresholds out there uh, that you know athletes could hear about. We talked about critical power and functional threshold power today. There's, and I also mentioned uh, maximal lactate, maximal lactate steady state. Uh, the list just goes on and on. And I think would like to maybe devote a because threshold is so important. I, would, I think we should devote uh, an episode to just discussing threshold um, and the literature that's currently out there on that. And then f- coming out of that topic, I think we could do another episode on uh, whether or not uh, cyclists should do blood lactate testing. And then this gets into. Uh, another thing that could have gone on our coaching to-do list is the blood lactate analyzers that are out there now. Um, so yeah, well, I think we'll close it down with that. Uh, thank you, Vishnu, for, for your question. Cyrus, Damien, it was another great chat with you guys today. And uh, we'll say goodbye to everyone and hope to see you uh, again soon. Thanks. Cool. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.